In this episode of the Boost Health Podcast, you will hear body awareness, confidence, um, and him finding stuff that he enjoys on a long-term basis is, is the priority. And I, I think that kind of, that goes right from five upwards. They learn how to tumble, they learn how to crawl, they learn how to squat and, and do overhead presses and, and stand on their hands. So when they go into a sport and they're being asked to execute something, they're actually able to do that skill, not because they've been practicing it for five years in that sport, but just because their body can, can yeah. do it. Right? The, the argument for that basic whole foods is you don't really find any foods in nature that are high in carbohydrate and high in fat. But that is, that's how all processed foods are kind of put together. For the thermic effect, it'd be interesting to see a study of somebody's try, trying to survive on 30 bananas a day versus 30 uh, snack wells or something. Find your balance. 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 Searching for more wellness balance is our goal here at Boost Health. I am Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. I have a bachelor's degree in human biology, a master's degree in business, and I've been working in the wellness and fitness industry for over 19 years. On the Boost Health podcast, we cover the entire spectrum of wellness concepts and give you some actionable tips that you can implement in your personal health strategy. My philosophy with this podcast and with Boost Health in general is to be open-minded and try new things. Preconceived notions shouldn't get in the way of wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness tactic and it surprised you in how well it worked? Those are what we are trying to uncover here. Thank you all for spreading the word about the show if you think someone might enjoy it. And please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast app. Q&A. If you want to ask a question for the show, just click on the green Ask Paul button on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. So here's the listener question for this episode. Paul, why don't you foam roll? Some of you may be aware of the article I wrote called Three Reasons to Stop Foam Rolling. I wrote this article after I stopped foam rolling for an entire year as a experiment on myself and I noticed some improvements. And the reasons I suggested to consider stopping foam rolling was that there's, there's some conflicting research out there. Uh, most people do not have an understanding of massage therapy techniques and the different directions of the muscle fiber and the simple fact that you may not be getting any relief from it. So. I tried to make it clear that this was my own experiment and I was merely suggesting it as an option if people were smashing and rolling as much as I was and not really getting any relief. Now, in an effort to remain open-minded, as I always try to suggest, I may reintroduce foam rolling at some point, but I'd like to see some more definitive research and I absolutely will be much less aggressive in my efforts in foam rolling if I ever decide to do it again. So I'll link to that article in the show notes and blog to sort of explain my reasoning behind it. And again, if you have any questions for me, please click the green Ask Paul button on the podcast page that's on myboosthealth.com. Announcements. 
The Boost Health Performance Apparel Shop opened on October 3rd. It is open. And in this ordering period, we're going to include some really cool new winter pieces like hoodies, long sleeve cycling jerseys, running tights, thermal cycling bibs, and even a new special black kit. It's called the Secret Boost. You got to go check it out. Just click on the shop link on myboosthealth.com. Also, for all my listeners, um, I want to give you a discount. So if you go to the checkout after you've found your products that you want and then put in the code BALANCE, that's B-A-L-A-N-C-E, put that in at checkout and you'll get 5% off your order. So check out the new pieces. I think you'll really like them. Newsletter, if you haven't already signed up for the weekly Boost newsletter, you can do so very easily by entering your name and email into the form on the homepage on myboosthealth.com. This way you don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now on with the program. This is the second part of a three-part series with Pete Fisher, the founder of Nutrition Kitchen. In this episode, we discuss why there aren't many fruits in the Nutrition Kitchen meals, physical fitness and sports for kids, mental capacity to train harder, getting kids to eat healthy, and the evils of processed snack foods. Okay, here is part two with Pete Fisher. It seems to me that one of the best things that someone can do and improve their nutrition program is to eat more fruits and vegetables. Just as general, I don't care who you are or what you do, it seems like that's an improvement that most folks can make. And so in looking at the nutrition kitchen meals for the next few weeks, I was looking at your cycles. I saw lots and lots of wonderful fresh vegetables being used. I did see a few fruits, but not as many fruits as vegetables. Um, so I wondered if this is by design. I mean, we're certainly not anti-fruit. I think it's just, just most, most of our meals are kind of main courses like entrees. So it's, you know, they tend to, a more savory profile works better and with fruits most people don't really need any kind of pushing to to eat more fruits most people are pretty happy um due to the the natural sugar content in fruits most people are pretty happy to eat them on a regular basis like if you tell clients to eat blueberries or raspberries apples bananas you don't really receive much pushback right so uh, nature's kind of already done a pretty good job there um and there's not much room for us to add value that's yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you're not going to have to drag somebody kicking and screaming to eat a, <laughs> an apple or blueberries or banana. Um, so, OK, so let's say I'm doing your meal plan. I'm doing the three meals a day. I'm not going to throw my macros too far out of whack. Let's say if I add a, an apple um, to a couple of those meals. Is that OK? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, that that would be absolutely fine. Um, I, we could set this up so that people would have like options really like part of this has to be an education process so we don't want people to feel that they can only eat our meals um we want people to understand okay th- these are the macros these are the calories from these meals these provide a fantastic foundation for me and then you know i can add in other foods based on my preferences based on my activity levels based on hunger um and most people you can't really go far wrong with adding, you know, a couple of servings of fruits per day. That's fantastic. That's good. And I, I wanted to know that because I've been promoting just more fruits and vegetables, uh, just as a general nutrition tip f- for everybody. So I'm glad mm. to, to hear that you guys are on board with that too. Part of that is uh, they did this really cool 
study, a uh, very recent study in 17 uh, that shows that fruit and vegetables can extend our lives. I'm probably not too much of a shocker there, but it's pretty cool. So they did, uh, it was this, uh, published in The Lancet by Miller et al. in 17, as I said, and they were looking at three to four servings of fruits and vegetables, which um, a lot of folks are moving to cups now. Um, as a serving size, which I think is good because servings, you know, oh, if it's a serving of lettuce, it's yeah. this much. And it's a, it's just, it's ridiculous even, and it just doesn't make that big of a difference. So let's just say cups. Of course, I know not everybody uses cups, but a standard serving size would be nice. But this was massive. They looked at 18 countries, seven geographic locations. And I like this too, because some people say, oh, you can't eat as healthy if you don't have the higher income level. Well, they looked at low, middle, and high income levels. And uh, that showed that it can extend the lives across all of these regions, all of these cultures, all of these income levels. Uh, so it gives us some nice evidence that, you know, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables is pretty darn wise investment to your health. I think the greatest thing that you guys do at Nutrition Kitchen is get those fresh vegetables into those dishes and then you make them taste taste savory because I know <laughs> it starts young. My, uh, my little boy is, is boy. I don't know if we get three or four different kinds of vegetables in them. It's, it's, it's pretty tough. So I recall you saying Pete that nutrition kitchen, uh, having three set meals in a day versus five or six was, was by design, you know, kind of back in the late nineties and early two thousands in the fitness industry, everybody was pushing six small meals a day and you got to put a little log on the fire to get the fire burning and speed up your metabolism and blah, blah, blah. And we're learning more and more now about intermittent fasting and benefits of, of fasting here and there. And I wanted you to talk about how, you know, you, you mentioned to me that you think we snack too much in, in modern society. And, and that's part of the reason why you set up your, your meal plan that way, but I'll shut up and let you explain. Yeah. I think you know, we, we set up, so it's, yeah, I think three meals a day is a really good entry point for most people. Um, most people already eat three main meals a day. So it's, this isn't a massive departure for them. I think mm. as soon as you start trying to coerce people into eating like an amateur bodybuilder and having you know, six to eight small meals a day, you're going to really set the, the entry point far too high for most people. Uh, and it's just unnecessary. Like People don't need to eat six to eight meals a day. There's literally no benefit to their metabolism to, to eating smaller meals uh, the only reason to have a higher meal frequency is if you're struggling to get you know all the protein you need um eaten in three meals uh, if, if you have a you know if you're a, a larger male and you need to be eating a decent amount of protein because you're trying to build muscle you might require you know something close to around maybe 180 200 grams of protein a day that's going to be hard to eat in two or three meals in which case you probably go for four or five meals per day but that's pretty much the only reason outside of personal preference that I would advocate you know, eating more than three meals a day. Certainly if the goal is weight loss, I, it, it makes much more sense. But the biggest thing that puts people off eating healthily is the time they have to spend preparing the food. Mm -hmm. if, if you remove that, again, by either outsourcing to a, com a company like ours, which does that for you, but if you remove that with people who are preparing their own food and say, okay, just make yourself two healthy meals a day, um, and then you can just grab, what, I don't know, have a shake when you wake up or something. So you, all you have to do is prepare two healthy meals. That is a lot easier as an entry point for people who are looking to start taking control of their health. That's a really good point. One of the parts of your bio that really resonated with me, we actually mentioned this um, when we were talking a couple weeks ago when we were having coffee, that, uh, that you taught strength and conditioning to kids while you're at St. Benedict's. 
Um, and I've really, I think mentorship is so important and so powerful. Uh, and I'm sure you inspired a lot of those kids and you laid a, a great foundation for their fitness training for life. I know, you know, for me, I'm thinking back about some of my football coaches that I had uh, when I first started playing American football and we just had, we just were lucky. We just had really good influential coaches that cared about you doing these moves properly the right time. And it just, it makes such a big difference, but can you talk a, a little bit about your experience with, with helping those kids and, and why you did it? Yeah, I think my, my entry to uh, training and fitness and health was very much through trying to support my own athletic development. I've always been like relatively lightweight. So there's always been like playing rugby at a decent level has required me to like, add a decent amount of muscle and ensure that my physical preparation was um, better than everyone else's um, to kind of really maximize uh, physical attributes. So working with, working with kids, work, coaching in a school environment was simply a case of trying to, trying to be the coach I would have liked to have had when I was growing up and just providing that guidance and support. Um, coaching, coaching school kids, you're in an incredibly kind of privileged position. So I worked with yeah, kids from the age of about 12 up to 18. And you're working with a, a population that is incredibly enthusiastic, um, really buys into it because you know, they can handle a lot of stress at that age. Mm-hmm. They can handle... They, they're built to adapt at that age. They've got all the hormonal profile uh, to really respond well to the training. So you get enormous buy-in. Um, so it's a really rewarding population to work with. What, uh, what t- I'm just curious, what type of movements were you guys doing? Were you doing traditional Olympic stuff or a mixture of Olympic with some, some other things? Yeah, it's, um, we're starting off with the, the 11, 12-year-olds. I would just very basic body weight stuff mm-hmm. initially yeah. they're a little young for, for yeah i mean stuff. I, there's just really no need for like big kind of spinal loading or there's just there are other things that get the job done without the risk um they're already being exposed at a relatively young age to relatively chaotic forces on the spine by playing rugby mm-hmm. so it's a bit of a i don't know i i don't think it's consistent to allow kids to do live scrummaging and then say you can't lift weights right we're taking it's okay to be in a chaotic environment where you can't control all the variables but it's not okay to be in a very controlled safe gym environment where you can control things to the nearest kilo right yeah Um, that's a good point so i i think strengthening kids um with a view to make them more not necessarily to make for performance enhancement but more for resilience um, and for safety, I think should be kind of built in to more rugby programs. I think it's an initiative that's starting to take off now in the UK. I think they're realizing that kids do need special physical preparation. Just because you're, a, you know, you're a big kid, carry a bit of weight, doesn't mean you should be propping in the scrum. Like being a larger kid doesn't make you strong enough to withstand those forces. Um, so lots of body weight work. Kids enjoy that. They enjoy moving their body through space. That kind of physical mastery. Like kids love it. Um, and I don't think, yeah, you know, I think you can get kids into doing that at a really young age. Um, I think certainly with my son, he's five. I've got him doing climbing. I have him doing gymnastics. He's got a capoeira class tonight. Um, 
I'm going to get him to do jujitsu as well and just make sure he's got that kind of all-around body awareness. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's no real rush to get him in a gym lifting weights particularly. I think it's just body awareness, confidence, um, and him finding stuff that he enjoys on a long-term basis is, is the priority. And I, I think that kind of that goes right from five upwards. Like you've got kids who are 12, 13. They need to enjoy what they're doing. You can be a bit more competitive. You can push them harder. Um, but then, yeah, once a kid's starting, yeah, 12, 13, they can start start loading up the spine with, with deadlifts and squats. I'd say probably around 14, 15 is a sensible age to start introducing those. But again, you're not, you're not getting anywhere near maximal loading. You, you're right. going to be using like sub-maximal efforts. There's no need to take, you know, no need to take a kid to close to a two, three rep max until they're you know, 18, really. Um, you can get all the benefits without without going anywhere near that level of risk. Um, and again, I think strength conditioning is something I, I got into the industry through the kind of strength conditioning pathway, through rugby. Um, I went back and did an internship with Exeter Chiefs once I'd finished playing there um, and then working with athletes in schools. But strength conditioning, ultimately the goal is to make them better athletes. Um, and I think what happens is we lose sight of that question, how can I improve them as an athlete? And we replace that question with easier questions like how can I make them stronger? How can I make them faster? Right. And so we pursue those rather than pursuing this slightly more holistic goal of athletic development because you know, those are easier questions to answer. How do we make someone a better athlete is a lot more um, subjective and open to interpretation. Yeah, that's true. And at least in the U.S., I'm not sure if it's the same in the UK. It seems like it might be the case here in Hong Kong. My kids aren't quite old enough to feel it yet, but there's like an over-specialization yeah. of kids into sports, like way, way too young. Yeah. And I, and we do the same with ours. Like, let's just get into as many different kinds of sports as we can, see what you enjoy, and we can always specialize later. But it's interesting, like, I've talked to some Division One coaches in the US, and they'll have, like, <clears throat> an elite level elite level sprinter track sprinting athlete who actually doesn't have very good running mechanics, mm. just a gifted athlete. And so I love the fact that you've got your kiddo in gymnastics. We've, we've got ours in gymnastics and uh, what better sport to get a kid into, to learn a foundation of body awareness and, and yeah. strengthening. It's just fantastic. And so, you know, you have kids learning how to do things that they should learn how to do. They learn how to tumble. They learn how to crawl. They learn how to squat and, and do overhead presses and, and stand on their hands. So when they go into a sport and they're being asked to execute something, they're actually able to do that skill, not because they've been practicing it for five years in that sport, but just because their body can to yeah. do it, right? Yeah, and it's, they've got a, a bigger kind of repertoire of, movement experiences that they've they've undergone during their training for whatever sports they're doing or even just playing um yeah early early specialization is it just goes against all of the long-term athletic development studies that have been done it, it just ignores all of this and it, it people always hold up the few examples of Serena Williams, the Williams sisters or Tiger Woods as being examples of that early specialization paying off, but ignore you know, the, the huge number of, um, I mean, or probably countless number of you know, relationships that that's ruined between parents and kids where they've really pushed their kids down a certain pathway that they weren't really cut out for. 
and and probably they've set a, a limit on on that child's capacity to improve to be an elite athlete um but, but yeah certainly a lot of the well all the research suggests that you know the broader the base you can build at a young age the higher the potential peak for the athlete yeah uh, and probably just general overall wellness better. It would be better too, because they're probably going to be a happier yeah. person overall as well. They didn't feel like they lost their childhood to hitting yeah. a thousand balls a day or whatever. Right. I, and it is, you end up with this kind of, it, it's, it's mad just the, the nature of like repetitive strain injuries that you're exposing a kind of a growing body to at that age. It just doesn't need to happen. Um, but I, I think people, particularly individual skill sports, people have the same mindset with that as they might with um, I, 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 probably tennis and golf are the, the two biggest examples where you're subject to the same technical improvements as you know, a musical instrument. Mm. Uh, yeah, people, that's a good point. And people apply the same mindset um, of rehearsal, practice, rehearsal, and it's a very kind of rote drilling um, versus... You know, encouraging kind of explorative play, which is you know, a very different experience for kids. Yeah, you know, it's something just to think about, I suppose, too, with your Serenas and your Tigers. As you said, they over-specialized young and ended up paying off, depending on how you look at it, I suppose. But maybe they were just gifted athletically. Like, mm. what if Serena tried football, soccer? What if, I, I bet she would have been fantastic at it. And yeah. Um, you know, what if Tiger took up tennis? I mean, I think these are probably just gifted athletes and they have sort of the mental capacity to handle training and consistent mm. effort and pushing themselves. It, it may not necessarily, they may have found that they were gifted at multiple sports. I mean, yeah. look at your Bo Jacksons and your Deion Sanders, yeah. just amazing athletes and, and can cross over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a, a really good book. David Epstein wrote a book called The Sports Gene. Um, really good read, but one of the things it has, it's talking about huskies, and it's uh, a like the genetically breeding huskies for their love of running, their love of training, their innate kind of desire to to get out there and run. And I think on human in humans that kind of translates for like trainability, hmm. like train ability to actually apply yourself in practice and training is a genetic um, variant. And and so, the biggest one in rugby is Johnny Wilkinson. So he was an England rugby fly half in the World Cup when, when England won, and he was always kind of praised for his kind of work ethic, and that he somehow conquered any kind of genetic limitations he had, but ignoring the fact that his work ethic and ability to practice was to a large part genetically determined. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. Uh, I want to talk about this since since you're here and you've got kids yourself, um, I'm always looking for any tips or tricks on getting kids to eat healthy. My five-year-old daughter is a little bit better. She'll try new foods. I'm afraid my eight-year-old son, he's like a carbon copy of me. I was really, really bad when I was, <laughs> I had like six foods that I would eat and he's pretty much in the same boat. So I, I don't know, just as a dad and as a guy that works in, in nutrition, do you have any, any, thing that's worked for you to to get kids to eat healthy i i i'm not an authority on this in the slightest <laughs> i i think i struggle with the same issues that you do um i'm very i remember before i had kids 
being much much more outspoken about what kids should eat <laughs> right. and yeah, yeah. having a kind of fussy five-year-old uh really kind of chastening but just seeing the difference between between him and my daughter my daughter will eat she'll happily eat avocado and salmon we could make her an organic baby and she would be so happy wow just, that's amazing yeah we don't we give her other stuff as well but but she <laughs> she's one we could have gone down we could have kept her like if we wanted to make her like a paleo poster child, we probably could have. <laughs> right. With my son, if we'd gone down that route, I, he wouldn't have survived. Like he just, again, like like you said, with your son, carbon copy, my son is a, a mini me and I was fussy. Mm-hmm. I was fussy and I was high energy and high energy to the point where I didn't, like meal time was almost, I didn't want to sit down and eat. Yes. I, I, I wanted to go off and play. I wanted to do things. I wanted to run around. So, I mean, it, it, I think it is kind of common sense, but I, I think if you get too hung up on uh, things like, you know, food quality and organic food and and things that are important to a degree, but I think if you get too hung up on that with kids, you ignore really basic things like calories and the energy balance and ensuring that they actually have enough food in them to, yeah, that's good. to get through the day. Um, so if I was given a choice between underfeeding with high quality food or overfeeding a very very active boy doing tons of activity uh if if i need to get calories in him with ice cream i'm probably going to do right that. yeah that's a good way to look at it um and you know i guess if you just pay attention to what's happening with their growth uh and their energy levels then you know you're you're doing the right things if 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 you're getting success there i mean our son grew four inches last year so i guess <laughs> i guess we're yeah. doing okay uh, and he's always got tons of energy. So that, that makes me feel a little bit better. But I mean, gosh, if I think about it, my mom prepared food. Um, she was a stay at home mom for most of the time when me and my sister were growing up and we had a home cooked meal pretty much every single night and yep. it was healthy. Now the rotation that she would have liked to have done versus what, you know, us kids would actually eat was, was, was different, but you know, every once in a while she'd let us have, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff like that. And we, we yeah. ended up being okay. So I, I don't know. I just, um, I just, I guess I try not to beat myself up too much about it because I really, mm. one of the things I think that's helped, I guess, is asking them how they feel. Yeah. Not shaming them. It's not about shaming. It's really just about like getting them to pay attention to food that they eat and like how they feel before and how they feel after. And so, you know, if they'll have, you know, a hot dog or something like that, that of course isn't going to make you feel great. Like daddy, I have a stomach ache. I'm like, well, okay. You know, maybe, maybe the hot dog wasn't the best uh, choice for you. It's it's okay. You know, it's not a big deal, but just Mm. pay attention to that. I think that's something small that you can do in a nice way to help them pay attention. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea like no, no kid's relationship with food is going to be perfect in the same way that I don't know many adults who have a, (laughs) a fully kind of, balanced healthy diet true it's always a work in progress so i think as a parent all we've got to be doing is you know constantly kind of you know being a parent and trying to make them eat vegetables and keep having those conversations and keep trying to be inventive and introduce new foods and it's the same what we talk about with like exercise like you want to broaden the base like you want to expose them to as many different you know, movements as possible and it's the same with food you just keep trying to expose them to new foods um and obviously there's gonna be pushback along the way but you know it's i think it just comes with the territory 
and you've these little guys at least my son he's like like an investigative journalist like i've tried you know i've like oh let's get these muffins going let's have a super palatable muffin you know yeah. maybe even a few chocolate chips in there but let's sneak in just like a little bit of spinach and oh no i mean he's like he sniffs it from a mile away it's like yeah. forget about it. it's like something's different here something's wrong it's like yeah. he, they're pretty pretty it's the green yeah 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 no I've, I've i've been through removing bits of green on plates and <laughs> yeah. yeah um and it's it's nice it's nice when you find something that's kind of like nutrient dense and for me it's kind of that you know magic combination of nutrient dense and calorie dense mm-hmm. for growing kids so you, all the stuff i tell my like personal training clients to be wary of like healthy foods that are really high in calories like right. avocados and nuts i'm like yeah but don't have so many right you know, they're the ones you kind of push on the children to say okay you need to be We'll make some muffins with peanut butter, bananas, eggs, all blended up, and see see what see what comes out from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a breakthrough. It probably doesn't sound like a breakthrough, but it was a breakthrough because my son he's always starving after school, um, and I let him play at the playground. If they don't have an extracurricular activity after school, we'll just play at the playground for a little while, and they're just starving. So I bring snacks, and so I was like, today I know they're going to be hungry but I'm just going to bring a couple of bananas. And so he'll eat a banana, but if I've got, he'll prefer it with a little bit of peanut butter and it's not every single time. It's not a winner. Um, but I brought a couple of bananas down and they both like, dude, this is amazing. It's like the best food they've ever had. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just cause they were hungry or, or what, but I was like, this is something that, um, is a little victory for us because it's not, yeah. you know, some garbage goldfish prepackaged, yeah. whatever. It's actually a real food that, is nutrient dense that's palatable and got some fiber in it. And I know that they're see the problem with a lot of those snack foods is like, we're talking about, think about how you feel. Mm. They'll eat some of the little cracker snack thing yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, do you feel any more full than you just did before you started yeah. that? It's like, there's, I'm trying to teach them. This is not nutrient dense. Like it's not going to fill you yeah. up. All you're doing is just putting it in your mouth. So little victories. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's a kind of, it's, the, the argument for like basic whole foods is you don't really find any foods in nature that are high in carbohydrate and high in fat but that is that's how all processed foods are kind of put together is is those kind oh, of those combinations that's a really good point i haven't so, thought of it that way well it's when people people end up with you know saying things like demonizing carbohydrates needlessly and it's like well no one gets fat from overeating like sweet potato or brown rice or blueberries or bananas those aren't the issues what people mean when they say carbs they mean crap right so people think should be the other c word yeah (laughs) exactly but people in people's heads carbs are pizza ice cream but you actually look at the breakdown of those foods and they're 50 percent calories from fat Mm -hmm. they're 50 percent calories from carbs they're not a pure carbohydrate food like it's really hard to overeat purely carbohydrates. You can, uh, you can do it, but it's it's nowhere near as palatable as you know, picking out on you know, massively engineered combinations of fat, sugar, wheat, and salt. Yeah, that's a gosh, that's a really good way to look at it. And yeah, it's like these. Uh, I've heard the term "fraken food," but it's so true, especially when you think about 
how they're they're blended together in a way that's just not meant to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean the other the other factor is the and and this is one of those things that's relatively minor but over the course of a lifetime will add up is the thermic effect of food or the diet diet induced thermogenesis that will decrease so the amount of energy you burn processing food decreases based on how processed that food is which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. intuitively the more the factory does the less your body has to do so the same amount of energy has probably been spent but in the case of a really processed food the factory spent the energy in the case of a, a relatively you know whole food your body has to spend that so um they did an interesting study last year and it was looking at almonds and so if you consume almonds like whole almonds you're consuming actually they found 20 percent fewer calories than they actually anticipated and then they looked at various degrees of processing and moving from slithered almonds up towards almond butter and almond butter is you are you are digesting all of the fat all of the calories um so so there's like the thermic effect of food there is very very minimal versus the the 20 percent processing fee that your body charges you to actually extract nutrients from the almonds wow interesting yeah and (laughs) i guess you could even take that a step further right so um you know back in the old days yeah. your almond didn't come uh, as is right so like you right. had to crack that puppy open so you yeah. know you're not even as likely even if you're eating a whole almond you're a lot less likely to to uh, eat as many because you've got to do the work just to get them into a edible state yeah yeah exactly it's, <laughs> i mean it's you know thermodynamics still holds the energy is not being lost anywhere it's just being transferred right um, and, and it just depends on where that happens. And when you're eating something that's ground flour with highly refined sugar plus an incredibly digestible form of fat, there's really very little thermic effect there. Your body doesn't have to, to do much to break that down. And that might even speak to, you know, the addictability of <clears throat> foods like that. The body's mm. like, oh, that, that really gave me a lot of energy for yeah. very little work. Give me yeah. some more of that, right? Yeah. Like at the highest level. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, yeah, even an, another study on that, they, they looked at, again, this was, wasn't even comparing com- totally whole foods to totally processed. It was comparing, it was a whole wheat bread with like, I think it was a, like a cheddar cheese. And they compared the thermic effect of that versus white bread with processed cheese. And the thermic effect of the whole wheat with cheddar cheese was had twice the thermic effect of the other sandwich whoa and that's oh and gosh. again that's just comparing something that's already processed yeah. with something processed but less processed wow just imagine if it's yeah, yeah if it's a, a whole food oh uh, this is uh this is an extreme example that that i don't uh prescribe to but it's just interesting on that topic there was a guy i don't know if he's still doing it or not but he, um i believe it's from australia who was eating 30 bananas a day. Yeah, I saw that. I can't remember his name. Um, Durian Ryder, is it? Yes, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So he was an endurance athlete. And so he was throwing down, I think cycled a lot, maybe ran two. Um, just crazy Ks per day mm. um, in these endurance events and fueling himself entirely on bananas. So obviously there's not a very balanced diet there with, with not getting enough fat and that sort of thing. But it's just interesting to think mm. about, you know... Um, basically taking it to, to an extreme of eating whole foods and the, the thermic effect. It'd be interesting to see a study of 
somebody try, trying to survive on 30 bananas a day versus 30 uh, snack wells or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see how they perform. Okay. We will stop there for part two as a cliffhanger. Make sure to listen in to the third and final episode where Pete and I discuss one arm pull-ups conditioning around the tendons and joints for calisthenics, specializing a bit less if you're not a pro athlete and not being a guest who is hard to feed. Check it out. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. I've had Pete here for a really long time, so we're going to wrap this one up. Also, thank you very much to my friend Pete Fisher for joining the show today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in your podcast app. You can follow my workouts and Boost Health updates on Strava, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for My Boost Health. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything, along with more motivation and information. And until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for Pete Fisher saying goodbye and find Find your your balance. balance. That's funny. In my English way, I would have just gone, find your balance. (laughs) 